1: This morning, I want to begin with prayer before we open up God's Word together. And so if you'll uh, bow with me, let us uh, come before the Father. God, we, uh, we know that every time we open Scripture, uh, that there's a possibility, an opportunity for your Spirit to completely disrupt and change everything about our lives. And, and sometimes we open this book and we forget that. <clears throat> we forget the reverence and the, the power that's available here through your Holy Spirit. And so I pray this morning, God, that whatever you want to do, it would be something that wouldn't just fall on our deaf ears, but it would be something that would challenge us to not just hear and believe, but it would challenge us to be and to do, to become the things you want us to become. We know that we are not loved because of how perfect we become, because love would never be possible if perfection depended on us. We've sung about that this morning, God, that you give us our identity and who we are. But God, we want to respond in obedience because we believe that the commands you've given to us, the stories you've given to us, they direct us to a way that is the abundant life. And we want to pursue that life, God. We want to live life to the full. And so, God, I pray you would uh, pour through me the gift of preaching this morning so that Christ would be formed in our hearts. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Well, this week's portion of the story we are in chapter 10, and so if you have your story Bible with you, feel free to open there. But if you have your Bible or phone, feel free to open to the book of 1 Samuel. First Samuel 1 is where I'll begin reading in just a moment. We're kind of going through the first half of the book of Samuel, which is the story of Israel finally getting a king and the process of becoming a nation is what we'll talk about today. And Israel had some key expectations in the stories we read this week about how they could have victory in battle, about how they could be right before God, and their expectations were often different than what God's expectations were. And that's where the problem happens for Saul and in the early journey with kingship is they have expectations about how victory will come and what it means to be obedient to God that is different than what God commanded. And I don't know about you, but in my life, I've been in those places. Often, week by week, I struggle with the fact that God's called me to this, or I know this to be the way to the abundant life, but there's a struggle within me to do those things. And I think today, this has ap- application in all kinds of ways for uh, business leaders in their business, for uh, family leaders, and, and those who are part of trying to raise kids in the name of Jesus, for those who are trying to find life in relationships. And this can be true for nations as well, just as we find for Israel. But there's a gap between the expectations they have in God's. And it's important for us to close that gap in our lives because Israel struggled to do that. And I want to talk more about that today. In First Samuel 8, We're going to come to one of the expectations. There's really three expectations I'm going to walk through that I read this week that I saw those differences. Maybe you saw that this week as well. But in 1 Samuel 8, we see that one of the expectations that Israel has about being a nation is they need to have a king that's over them. They need a visible leader that's going to be the one to charge forward into battle. It's going to make sure that they're taken care of. But that's not where this story begins in 1 Samuel chapter 1. So turn with me, if you would, in your story Bible to one page 129. It's 1 Samuel 1. I want to begin reading as we open up this story together in 1 Samuel 1, verse 1. There was a certain man from Ramatham, a Zeophite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jehoram, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zeoph, and Ephraimite. He had two wives, one was called Hannah, and the other Panina. Penina had children. But Hannah had none. Okay, we already notice a gap between their culture and ours, right? Multiple wives in this story, which raises some questions. But if you dig into the story in their culture, this is normal stuff. The, the, the struggle in the story is between one who's able to have children and this Hannah who is not able to have children. She wanted children, but she wasn't able to conceive so that her husband Elkanah could have children and she could enjoy them as well. Now, this is a particularly painful reality that many of us have experienced in our world. The longing to be able to have children, and yet something standing in the way of that. Now, growing up, I didn't know that was all that big of a struggle. I didn't know that many people who told stories about that challenge. And so it's often in those kind of early years of marriage or adulthood that we begin to realize that there are others that have this kind of struggle because growing up, I learned there was just kind of a path of how you do things. You find a spouse, you get married, you start a family. There's an order, there's a path, there's an expectation. But I think it's important that we name that expectation as a cultural standard or expectation. Not something the Bible necessarily lays out that every person is supposed to have an experience. The Bible clearly teaches, and this is something we don't talk about often, that singleness is a gift to the kingdom of God. Paul talks about this. We see Jesus living that out in his own life. When you're not married, you actually have opportunities to devote things that those who are married can't in the same way to the kingdom of God. And we don't speak enough about the gift that should be for a church to affirm that and to see that and call that out. That's a gift. And I want to speak a word of blessing over the singles who are in our church that may be joining us online or who are in the room this morning. You are a gift to this church and to the Lord. And we are glad that you are a part of this church family. And I don't believe you have to get married in order to be useful to God. You are blessed right now as you are. Whether you've been married and you find yourself single again, maybe you're widowed or maybe that's a desire you have, or maybe it's not a desire you have. You're enough as you are right now and God can and does use you. But I also want to speak a word to those in this story that Hannah evokes for us. Over the married couples in our church who don't have any kids. We are not waiting on you to have children in order to be useful to this church family. And and sometimes that's how we treat singles is when you finally get married, you find a new place into the church. And we've done a poor job as churches honoring that and welcoming that and doing a better job. And we need to do better. The same is true of those couples who don't have kids. And we have sometimes caused great pain as churches speaking to young couples and saying, well, when are you going to have kids? And some have wanted to say, well, we don't plan to have any. And others have wanted to say, we don't, would love to have kids, but every time at the end of the month, there's this reminder that the pregnancy didn't come, and this may not be our journey. So I just want to speak a word of comfort and blessing this morning over the singles and couples in our church who want to have kids, but who aren't able to conceive. You are not lesser because of this struggle. You are part of our church family, and we count you as valuable members of the kingdom of God. Yet you know, throughout the Bible, we see women and couples having trouble having kids. Hannah is one of those women in this story, and I I couldn't help but go there because the story went there this week. She's a woman who desires to have a child, but she can't seem to have any. So she cries out to God. If there's anything we've learned in the first 10 chapters, reading through the story so far, it's been that God hears the cries of his children. It was true in the story of Ishmael. Now, we didn't focus on Ishmael as much because Isaac was the child of promise. But Ishmael is one of Abraham's children and he cries out to God and God hears his cry and promises that he'll protect them and he'll watch over him. The same thing's true for the people of Israel in the story of the Exodus, right? They're enslaved and they cry out to God and God hears the cries of them and their oppression and he frees them from their slavery. Same is true in this story. God heard the cry of Hannah who desired a son And in this case, he gives her a son named Samuel. And Hannah dedicated Samuel to the Lord, which is a little different than our baby dedication. Uh, We don't ask you to drop them off and leave them here at the church. And actually, this is a a sad thing at Greenville Oaks. We didn't have a baby dedication this year. We were hoping at some point that we would have a chance for all the young babies to be on stage and us covenant to help them raise their children in the way of Jesus. And so next year, when hopefully we're able to have more people together, we hope to do that. We'll have more that are walking on stage than we're used to at a baby dedication. But this is where that story comes from. It's from Hannah, who dedicates Samuel to the Lord. She brings him to Eli's house, and Eli, the priest, helps him, raises him, and helps him understand who God is. And this is interesting because Eli's sons didn't fare near as well as Samuel fares. They're wicked, Scripture tells us. They don't follow God. They actually blaspheme God. We'll read about that in just a moment. And because Eli's sons are wicked, Samuel, who's dedicated to the Lord, who's this special child given to Hannah, becomes the next one who's going to be the prophet, the leader over Israel. Now, this is an important job, the prophet for Israel. And you're going to notice that prophets are prominent figures as we walk through the kingship of Israel in the coming weeks. I'll say more about why they're so important in a moment, but turn with me if you would now to 1 Samuel chapter 4, it's page 133 in your copy of the story Bible. This is about uh, the story where the Israelites are uh, defeated in a battle against the Philistines who are this constant enemy that the people of God are struggling against in battles. We'll see them come up again, but they lose this battle. They're defeated by the Philistines, and here is the first example of three I want to show us in this uh, section of Scripture where the expectations of the Israelites are different than God's expectations. And it causes them trouble. Israel experienced defeat at the hands of the Philistines. And now we're going to discover the reason for that loss. At least they thought the reason for their loss. First Samuel chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. When the soldiers returned to the camp, the elders of Israel asked, Why did the Lord bring defeat on us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the ark of the Lord's covenant from Shiloh, so that he may go with us and save us from the hand of our enemies." So the people sent to Shiloh and they brought back the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord Almighty, who was enthroned between the cherubim. And Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. Their thought is, I know why we lost. We forgot the Ark of the Covenant. We would have just brought that special Ark that journeyed with us to the Jordan that was there at Jericho. If we had just brought the Ark, we would have had victory. So they go to Shiloh and they get the Ark of the Covenant. Now, just to be clear, the Ark does have this kind of aura to it, this power to it. In fact, the Philistines see that they brought the Ark in and they're terrified. They're filled with fear because they've heard about this Ark of the Covenant. They've heard about the God who goes and fights for Israel. And so this Ark is a reminder to the Philistines of, "Uh oh, this may be trouble. But watch what happens again in 1 Samuel 4, verse 10. So the Philistines fought and the Israelites were defeated. And every man fled to his tent. The slaughter was very great. Israel lost 30,000 foot soldiers. The ark of God was captured, and Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, died. Now their expectation was, look, we have this magic box, right? God must go with God's people. If we just had brought the box, it would all be better. But what they come to find out is the box wasn't the problem. The ark and it being missing wasn't the problem. The problem was the sin of Eli's sons. That had been overlooked. They had sin in their camp. And instead of looking for this magic that they could bring to battle with them, what they should have done is done an inventory of whether they were faithful to God or not. The problem were two names I read in verse 11 Hophni and Phinehas. Now, who are these guys? They're the evil sons of uh, of Eli. That's how the text describes it. In chapter 3, God had told Samuel that he was going to judge Eli because of these two sons. Listen to this in 1 Samuel 3, verse 11. And the Lord said to Samuel, See, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. At that time I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons blasphemed God and he failed to restrain them. Therefore I swore to the house of Eli, The guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. See, Hophni and Phinehas, they have sin in their lives, and Eli, their dad, overlooks it. They blaspheme God, and here is the priest of God's people, and he's not taking care of his own house and the sin that's in their own camp. See, the Israelites didn't lose because they forgot to bring the Ark of the Covenant to battle. That was their expectation. God's expectation was you don't go into battle when you've got sin in your camp. This has been a struggle before in the book of Joshua when they go to try to defeat the AI and there was sin in the camp and they end up losing the battle. It's important that we understand that looking at our own sin is often more important than finding the magical prayers or the magical things we bring into battle with us. Now that's the first failure of expectations for Israel. The second failure of expectations comes on page 135 in the story. It's 1 Samuel chapter 8 that I mentioned to you earlier in in your Bibles. It's a story I've actually preached on probably half a dozen times in the last uh, six uh, plus years here at Greenville Oaks that I've been the preacher. Because I think it's such a central text for understanding the problems that occur in Israel and actually relate to our own day. The second false expectation has to do with putting a king on the throne of Israel. Israel's trying to figure out why they aren't as big and, and, and growing as fast as all the other nations around them. And so what do you do when you see others that are more successful? You try to learn from them, right? They, they look around, they notice something that the other nations have that Israel doesn't have. They, they have a king that leads them into battle, a, lead who, a king who leads the people, a visible leader that leads them everywhere they go. And so they think if we want to become a great nation, then we need a king, a visible leader as well. And that's where they may have another false expectation. They're actually wrong because in the text we find out that God is the king of Israel. And though it would be nice to have a visible leader that would lead them out into battle, what we find out in the story is they didn't actually need that. That God was enough on his own. They, They weren't supposed to look like all the other nations. And sometimes that's our problem is we look around us at people who don't live like us and we think, man, if I just had, Christopher spoke to this earlier actually during communion time, right? This idea that others have things that we don't have. And we need to be reminded that that's not what we need, is whatever. We're supposed to live different and as a contrasting people. And that means that God is the king overall who directs our steps. And so God tells them, look, here's what's going to happen. You can have your king, but if you choose that, your sons, the king's going to take them and they're going to die in battles. And if, if, if you select a king, your daughters are going to be taken off as perfumers for the king. They're going to go live in his harem. It's, you're going to wish they were at home. And, and he's going to take your property and he's going to tax you more than you want. Why would do you really want this king? And, and, and just to warn you about one more thing before you make this decision. If you do choose a king after I've warned you of all these things and you cry out to me, I won't hear your prayers. I'm going to turn my back against you. And the people of God said, We think we still want a king, actually. And so sure enough, we're going to read through the kings a little bit later on that God ends up not hearing their cry, which is really hard because all through the text so far, the story, we found out that God hears the cries. But God warns them, if you choose this, here's what's going to happen. But in the end, it's more important for Israel to have a prophet than it is for them to have a king. First of all, God is already the king over Israel, so they don't need to duplicate. But second, any human king is going to need a prophet who will tell them the truth when everyone else around them tells them only what they want to hear. And so it's going to be the job of Samuel to tell King Saul the truth when everyone else around him just flatters him. And it's going to be the job of Nathan to tell King David next week when we get into that story in the weeks that follow. When everyone just goes along with his madness to say, hey, this isn't the way things need to go. See, God gifts every king in Israel, with a prophet whose job it is to speak for God to the earthly ruler. And some kings do their best to silence their prophet because they like to be flattered more than they like to admit the truth. But believe me, every leader you can imagine needs truth tellers around them to speak things that they often don't want to hear or can't see themselves. And that's true when it comes to businesses, as I talked about earlier. It's true when it comes to family units and relationships. It's true when it comes to church. It's true when it comes to nations. There have to be people around that tell the truth to the people who are in charge. That's the job of the prophet. And it's an important job today as well. And that's the problem, I think, when churches go all in on candidates. In elections. Because when a church does that, it loses its important role and function of playing the role of truth teller to anyone who ends up in power in situations. Yes, the, the role of the church is as conscience, is its truth teller to our culture as well. So, their expectation is, look, we need a king. We need to look like all the other nations. And the response is, okay, you can have your king. And then we find the third circumstance— In the first half of 1 Samuel, we see in the final stories of chapter 10 of the story that Saul's downfall comes because he refuses to listen to his truth-telling prophet, Samuel. On page 142 in the story, it's 1 Samuel chapter 13. We come across two circumstances within three chapters where Saul steps out and doesn't do what's been commanded. Samuel had told Saul to wait seven days and Samuel would arrive to sacrifice a burnt offering to the Lord before they go into battle. Well, it's the seventh day. And Saul's still looking around for Samuel, and he can't find him anywhere. And so without having patience for God's timing, he goes ahead and he does what he knows needs to be done. He sacrifices to the Lord. It seems like a good idea, right? We need a sacrifice, and Samuel's not here. The problem was he needed to trust the timing of God and trust that Samuel was the one to offer the sacrifice. And when Samuel arrives, he says, what have you done? And Saul had gotten impatient and hadn't waited on the timing of the Lord. And then in 1 Samuel 15, God commands Saul, I want you to go and I want you to defeat the Amalekites. And when you do that, I want you to destroy everything. Don't allow the king to live. Don't allow there to be uh, any cattle or sheep that you take on as your own after the situation. Destroy it all. But after the battle, Samuel shows up and he hears sounds he shouldn't be hearing. 1 Samuel 15, this is verse 13. Listen to this. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, the Lord bless you. I've carried out the Lord's instructions. But Samuel said, what then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? You see, he didn't destroy all that God had told him to destroy. There are sheep, there are cattle, and King Agag is left to still survive this situation. And this is the last straw, straw for Saul. He'll continue to reign on the, king of Israel, uh, on the throne of Israel for several more years. But this is the moment that God says, we've got to find a new king. This guy can't follow me. His expectations are different than what I've commanded. You see the problem in these stories about wrong expectations like we determine, okay, it must be this timing is the right thing. We know God wants to, us to do this and so we must do it right now rather than waiting on God. Or, or maybe we come into a situation that we have somebody around us that's trying to tell us the truth but we just don't want to hear the truth that we truly need to hear. Or maybe it's that we have this sense of magic that maybe if we just utter these things to God then and, and he's going to come through on our timing and what we desire rather than realizing that there's sin that's really going on that needs to be dealt with. They expect victory if they just bring the Ark of the Covenant. Well, what they failed to see was that God saw sin in their camp that they weren't dealing with. They expect victory if they have a king to lead them into battle. And what they didn't know is that God's been their king and he's been battling for them just fine up until now. And Saul expects victory if he can just sacrifice to God. But God wants Samuel to sacrifice and wants Saul to be more patient for his timing. In our own day, we have expectations about what we're to do and how we're to be righteous and how we're to follow God and do what's best, but if those expectations do not align with the commands of God, if they do not align with the expectations that God has given to us, we will fail again and again. We have expectations about prayers that will be answered, and we think we know the answers to so many things, but it's more important that we allow our expectations to align with God's expectations rather than just coming up with our own. It is so vital that we live in obedience to the commands of God. And This has been the struggle in my life, has been trusting that God is good enough, that he's not trying to take away when he gives us commands. He's actually trying to give life to us. And I think I learned this growing up with parents, right? I mean, sometimes my parents had rules that made no sense growing up, Right? You can nod your head, kids. It's okay. You know, those who are out there. I mean, why are they trying to keep me from having a good time? Why are all these other people out there able to do things and I'm not allowed to do it? And now parenting my own kids, I realized that my parents loved me. They were trying to lead me into a life that would be better than what my timeline was. And, and being a parent has brought me new wisdom and insight into that. And I think that carries over into our relationship with God, doesn't it? is that growing up, I kind of put my parents' expectations in the same way with God. It's like God has all these commands and laws and regulations, and I want to go to heaven, so I guess I have to do these things, but it's really going to ruin life on earth. But John 10.10 10 says something that's really important I want us to come back to that we dealt with in our mission and vision, which is a part of what we want to be as a church. It says there that uh, Jesus says, I, uh, the, the thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy. But I have come, Jesus says, so that they may have life and have it to the full, have it abundantly. Which means that the commands and the expectations and the standards that Jesus sets out for us, that God sets out for us, are actually the way to the abundant life. I hope we can learn to trust and lean into those commands. That was the problem for Israel. Is they stepped out of God's timing and they stepped out of his plan and they had different expectations. But remember, Jesus came to give us an abundant life. And here's the truth. You cannot live a life of abundance while living outside the commands of God. Let me say that again. You cannot live a life of abundance while living outside or opposite the commands of God. God desires the best way of life for you possible. And Jesus came to show us what that was like and to teach us what that was like. And it's our job to live into those things. We can trust the goodness of God. Of God, Let's close with prayer this morning. Father, I know different ones of us have been in different places as we read these stories. Some of us have been impatient like Saul was. Some of us have been like the people of God and wanted to look more like other nations or other kids and how they lived with their families rather than the strict standards that we felt like were in our own home. Some of us have wandered far off, God, and, and, and there have been people who've tried to bring us back to the truth. They've been truth us in our lives, and we've just rejected it because we'd rather just keep our head forward and live the life we're living, even though the consequences always came. So, God, we want to ask your forgiveness for the times that our expectations have differed from yours, for the times that we've sought goodness and abundance outside of your will because what we've discovered again and again is it cannot be found outside of your will, but it is found as we follow your way. And so we thank you for Jesus, who is the way and the truth and the life. And we want to follow him more closely. But God, we thank you that there's always a chance for redemption and not always a chance for new steps and new opportunities. And God, this morning is one more chance to get back on the road, to repent from the way of life we've been a part of and to seek your forgiveness in your way and your abundance. And we thank you for that opportunity today. It's in the name of Jesus that we all pray.
0: Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. We hope this message helps you to inspire people to follow Jesus because you're convinced, like we are, that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. We invite you to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast. Discover more about the Greenville Oaks Church online at greenvilleoaks.org.